Welcome, Bayview Glen Church. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Uh, my name is Lucas, I'm the lead pastor here, and that means that I kind of cast vision for our church and staff and also get to preach about 40 Sundays a year, and it is my joy uh, to serve here as the lead pastor. If you're brand new with us, uh, we're so glad that you're here. If you've been around for a while, uh, we're also glad that you're here. And we don't typically start our sermons this way, but we do need to start with a little bit of family business today because by now you have probably received an email, at least I hope that you have, announcing that I will be transitioning off of staff here in the next uh, couple of months. If you didn't receive that email, make sure you sign up for our, our all church email list because we do say some important stuff in those things. Uh, if you didn't receive that email, I know that's brand new news to you and it might be shocking or surprising, uh, but our desire, uh, mine and Amy's, is to be closer to family and so we are transitioning back to the United States. Now, I'm not gonna get into all the details of what that email says. You can grab that or request that, info at bayviewglen.org and we'll shoot you a copy of it. What I wanted to share with you a little bit today is just kind of my heart uh, for our church going forward. And as we process this as a staff this week, our executive pastor, Sean Lewellwitz, brought to mind uh, a text for all of us to consider. And it was a time when there was a transition in, in the leadership in the nation of Israel, um, in, in, in ancient Israel. And Moses was kind of passing the baton of leadership to Joshua. In fact, now that I'm recalling the passage, the reason he's passing the baton is that he died. So I'm not sure if I was supposed to take that as an insult or what, but anyways, that was the passage. And our staff, as we thought about it and prayed about it and talked about it together, uh, we kind of recognized and, and affirmed together that three times in this transition, three times as uh, the nation of Israel is, is in this transition of leadership, God commands them to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Joshua 1.9 says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be, do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Friends, here's what I wanna to say today. Now is not the time to circle the wagons. Now's not the time to play defense. Now's not the time to be dismayed or afraid. Now is the time to be strong and courageous. Our mission remains the same. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. Our vision remains the same. By 2030, we endeavor to be a family of 6,000 disciples with 3,000 in life groups and 3,000 on serve teams. Those things are not conditional upon a person or upon a leader. Now is the time to be strong and courageous. Now is the time to lean in. Now is the time to engage in community. Now is not the time to say, the guy I liked is leaving, so I'm leaving too. It now is also not the time to say, the guy I disliked is leaving, so I'm going back. Now is the time to be strong and courageous. We're gonna get to talk about this a little bit more in the weeks to follow, but that's just my encouragement today as you think and pray over the next couple of weeks. Be strong and courageous. Second thing in terms of family business is I just wanted to affirm what our pastor Mike Cito said uh, to kick off our service today. We condemn acts of racism. We condemn acts of hate. They're anti-biblical, they're anti-God, they're anti-gospel. We mourn with those who mourn, we grieve with those who grieve, and we pray uh, for the victims and their families. 
of uh, the senseless act of violence that happened in Atlanta uh, in these last couple of weeks. Thank you, Mike, for sharing that with us today. Now, we've done a little bit of family business, and if you know me at all, and if you've been listening to me for the past seven and a half years or seven and a half weeks or whatever, today, Sunday, is the Lord's Day. And our focus is on Him and Him alone. So let's pray as we turn our hearts uh, towards the scripture together. God, thank you for your presence with us in our homes, in our kitchen, in our living room, as we're listening to a podcast after the fact. God, wherever we are, you are with us and we are grateful. God, open our eyes, open our ears as we um, take a look at what has been called the most important paragraph ever written as we continue to dive into this text from Romans today. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. Well, listen, what we did last week with this passage is that we zoomed in, right, on this one word, propitiation. We talked about it in detail last week. We'll hit on it just a little bit today. But what I want to do today is not zoom in. I want to zoom out. Are we tired of the word zoom, by the way, already? Gosh, I'm tired of zooming. Let's not zoom. Let's, instead of focusing narrowly, let's focus broadly. I'll just eliminate that word zoom from our vocabulary these days, okay? So we want to kind of take a look at what Paul is doing broadly in this passage. And I want you to listen as I read for repeated words, and I think you'll start to get the gist of where Paul is headed. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we read it in the English, but if you were reading it in the Greek, you would have heard a word repeated multiple times here. And I wanna go back and point it out to you. Here in verse 21, it's translated as righteousness. If you're taking notes, underline that word righteousness in verse 21. Then in verse 22, Paul says again, the righteousness of God for all who believed. Then in verse 24, he says, justified, underline that word. Then in verse 25, he says righteousness once again. Then in verse 26, he says righteousness. And then in verse 26, he says just and justifier. I hope that you underlined all those words because in the original language, all of those words have the exact same root. Although they're translated righteousness and just and justifier in the English language, this word here is dikaiosune, and it's uh, the same word throughout the text. Righteousness, 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 just, justifier, and in verse 24, justified. So here's what Paul is looking to do. Paul is looking to help us understand how we are put in right standing before God. Let's take a little bit of time on this word 
righteousness. Theologians also call this word justification. And what Paul is going to move toward is this notion of justification by faith alone. And this notion is so critical, so important for the Christian faith. Luther, Martin Luther said that justification by faith alone is the article upon which the church stands or falls. J.I. Packer said that this doctrine here of justification by faith alone is like Atlas holding up the world. If Atlas drops the world, then the world that is the Christian faith falls apart if we don't understand this notion. And so I I want to, uh, again, kind of dive in and and really in detail understand righteousness because I, I think we do get this confused sometimes. Remember that Paul is borrowing this word, translated righteousness, justified, and justifier. He's borrowing it from uh, the legal world. This is a legal term. It means that we are declared in right standing. Picture it like a court of law. So C.K. Barrett writes this, and he makes a great distinction. He says, righteousness does not mean virtuous, but right, clear, and acquitted in God's court. R.C. Sproul writes this, he says, justification is that act by which God judiciously declares a person to be righteous in his sight. So kind of keep going with me here, understanding this notion of righteousness and justification. Theologians take great pains to distinguish justification from pardon. So pardon is to allow the guilty to go free, but justification is more than that. Yes, justification is pardon, it's forgiveness. But on the other hand, there's a bestowal of Christ's righteousness onto you. R. Kent Hughes calls this the miracle of righteousness or the miracle of justification. It's also called the double transfer. That is to say that your sins are transferred off of you and Christ's righteousness is transferred onto you. So when we think of this notion of justification that Paul is going to explain to us here, I would invite you to think about the justification of text. Like if you're typing in a Word document or a Pages document and you highlight all the text and you say justify, what happens is that the the software adds space in between the words so that the text is not just aligned left or aligned right, but it's aligned on both sides. In the same way, this notion of justification has two sides. First, God pardons your sin but he also declares you to be in right standing before him. So one Bible scholar says it this way, justification says two things. First, you may go free of negative consequences. But justification also says you may come. You are welcome to God's love and presence. And this is the big idea in this passage. How is it that God declares a sinner to be pardoned of their sin and also in right standing before him. How is it on the backdrop of human sinfulness that we've been talking about through verses or chapters one, two, and all of chapter three, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God as Paul summarizes there in verse 23, that there's none righteous, not even one. How is it that God declares those individuals Righteous. How is it that God affects this or affects this double transfer? How is it that He pardons sin 
and also declares us to be in right standing before him? That's the question that Paul's going to answer. That's the broad strokes view. Now, let's continue as we pick it apart verse by verse. So Paul begins in verse 21 with these words. But now, but now, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this about those words. There are no more wonderful words in the whole of scripture than just these two words, but now. Paul uses these words so many other places in Romans 6, in Romans 7, Romans 16, Galatians 4, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 5, Colossians 1, so on and so forth. Paul uses these words to distinguish a couple of things. One, who you were before Jesus, but now who you are, okay? Your personal experience. He also uses these words to distinguish what God has done in the past and what he has done now in Christ. And that's the usage Paul is saying here. He said, it used to be this way, but now, but now what? The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. This word manifested is fenero'o. It's uh, made abundantly clear, crystal clear. And you may have noticed here that this word law is not capitalized here, but it is capitalized here. And that's a good choice, I think, from a translation perspective, as if my opinion really matters. But it is a good choice because here's why. Paul is saying the righteousness of God, right standing from God, has been made clear apart from a standard, a right and wrong standard of expectation. That's just the general moral expectation. God's uh, right standing with God has been made clear. It's been manifested apart from a general right, wrong standard. And now specifically the Mosaic law, the Old Testament, those first five books and the prophets point to the righteousness that has been manifested apart from the law. So Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We're not gonna spend a ton of time on verse 22 because we're gonna get into those details, what Paul is saying here as we go on in subsequent verses. Paul reiterates what he has already argued in Romans 1, 2, and most of chapter 3, for there is no distinction, all have sinned. Now, this word here, all have sinned, is hustereo, uh, uh, and it is in what is called the aorist tense. That word aorist is spelled A-O-R. I-S-T. We don't have that tense in the English language, but here's the tense in the, in the Greek. It's past, it's present, and it continues into the future. So what Paul is saying is that all are falling short. All have fallen, all are fallen, and all will continue to fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of his expectations. We fall short of who he is. We fall short of his character. And we are justified. So made righteous, left and right, pardoned, and uh, given the righteousness of Christ by his grace as a gift. Now, 
There are four really critical words in this passage that Paul is going to use to help us understand how it is that God puts sinners back into right standing with himself. The first of those four words is right here. His grace as a gift. Now, let's spend a little time getting granular with this word, just like with this word righteousness. There are two Greek words that Paul is kind of uh, using together here. And the two words first is charis, which is the translated grace. And it just means kindness, goodness, benevolence. But the other word that he's pairing with that word for grace is dorean, and it means freely given. It's given as a gift. So we are put back in right standing with God because of or by his freely given grace. This is so critically important. The source, the catalyst, the foundation of our right standing before God is God's grace and his grace alone. And it's freely given as a gift. God initiates it. God completes it. We are simply the recipients of it. God was under no compulsion or obligation. No one forced his hand. We did not earn it. It is purely a freely given gift, the goodness and kindness of God. Let's keep going. Let's get even more granular with this word so we really understand what it is that Paul is saying. Some theologians talk about this notion of ascent and descent. What they mean by that is that every other world religion, every other faith system helps humans to ascend to God. We ascend to kind of this uh, nirvana or enlightenment state. We ascend to God because of our good works. We as ascend to God because of some other thing or system or infrastructure that's put in place for us. But the notion that Paul is saying here and the notion that makes Christianity radically different is that it's not something that gives us opportunity to ascend to God. Rather, it is God descending to us. John Stott writes this, he says, grace is God loving, God stooping, God coming to the rescue, God giving himself generously in and through Jesus Christ. This is the first of our four critical words. This right standing with God is we are justified by his grace as a gift. That's good news. That's good news. Let's keep going because our second critical word is coming. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption. The redemption. That is a critical word as well. In the original language, this word translated redemption is apolutrosis. I understand that my Greek pronunciation is awful. I understand that I'm butchering that word. I would <laughs> ask for your grace. Great. Okay, so listen, here's what Paul's saying. This word redemption, just as he's borrowed this word righteousness and justification from the legal sector, he's borrowing this word redemption from the marketplace. Because in Paul's day, this uh, word redemption referred to the price that one paid in order to free a slave. 
It really was. I mean, it could be even translated, this word redemption, it could be even translated ransom price. Metaphorically speaking, this is the redemption that God talks about and redeeming his people out of slavery in Egypt. It's the same notion. So why is it that Paul is talking about God's grace initiates us being purchased out of slavery? Well, remember, Paul is calling back to what he's already talked about. It's not just that human beings have sinned or that we are sinners, but we're under the power of sin, right? We're enslaved to sin. We're controlled by sin. And God is purchasing us out of that slavery for himself. How radical is that? And it's a free act of his grace. Let's keep going. Word number one, grace is a gift. Word number two, he's redeeming us out of our slavery to sin that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a third critical word. Here we are, propitiation. Remember, we talked about this word in detail last week. The original Greek is hilasterion. It refers to the Old Testament mercy seat. Now, if you missed last week's sermon, go back and listen to it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I had a lot of fun preaching it, a lot of fun studying it. I learned a lot myself. I hope you learned something too. But just as by by way of review and by way of summary, remember this notion of propitiation is this, is that God was justified in his wrath. He's right in his wrath, his controlled anger towards sin. And rather than pouring that anger out on you, he provided a substitute and he poured it out on Jesus. And it's his blood that's the ransom price for us. That's the notion of propitiation. But I wanna take one more angle here because all of these words, they're just so deep in meaning. One more angle that we didn't even talk about last week. And so here's what I wanna call your attention to when we talk about propitiation, that God poured his wrath out onto his son rather than onto you. Here's my question. What does that tell you about how valuable you are? What does that tell you about your value, your worth? Uh, A Bible scholar named C.E.B. Cranfield wrote this. He says, the purpose of Christ being a propitiation, listen, was to achieve a divine forgiveness, which is worthy of God, consonant with his righteousness, in that it does not insult God's creature man by any suggestion that he is after all of but small consequence. We are of great consequence to God, great worth, great value, so valuable in fact that he purchased us and put forward his son as a propitiation by his blood. So now here we go. We've got right standing before God, catalyzed by his freely given grace. We are purchased out of sin. God put forward his son as a propitiation. So how is it that this double transfer happens? And and here's what Paul's about to say, ready? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here is our fourth critical word. So important in the original language, pistuyo, and it means active trust. Righteousness, right standing, alignment with God, a declaration of right standing before Him, redemption from sin and slavery to sin, 
Jesus put forward as a propitiation whereby you escape the wrath of God and you are given the righteousness of Christ. All of that is received in one simple word. Faith. Faith. Placing your active trust in Christ. Now, for those of you who have a weak faith. For those of you who struggle in your faith, and we all do, this passage offers unbelievable news because listen very closely. It is not the strength of your faith that matters. It's the strength of the thing your faith is in. Let me say that differently. It's not the strength of your faith that matters. It's not faith in and of itself. It's what you've placed your faith in that matters. Let me illustrate. Let's say I gather up a bunch of feathers from my backyard and I make wings for myself and I propose to fly across the Atlantic Ocean and I really believe I'm gonna do it. I have strong, deep, unbending, unyielding faith in my feathers. How's that going to go for me? But let's say that I'm terrified of planes and it's very, very difficult for me to trust in a 747. It's very difficult for me to trust in a pilot. But in my little weak, as much as I can muster faith, I place my active trust in that jet. It's going to get me across the Atlantic Ocean. See, it's not the strength of your faith that matters. It's the strength of the thing your faith is in. And because our faith is in Christ, we are assured of our salvation because He is strong. He is unbending. He is unyielding even when your faith is not. Herman Ritterboss sums this notion up this way. Listen, he says, faith does not justify, there's our word, because of that which it is in itself. Rather, faith justifies because of that to which it's directed, in which it rests. We don't have faith in faith. And it's not even our faith that justifies. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous, given as a propitiation, redeeming us out of slavery to sin, freely given grace of God, And we place our active trust in it, even if it's humble and meager and brittle and frail. Now, let's finish the passage uh, because the last couple of verses here might answer a question that many of you have had. Like, what happened to the people who sinned before Jesus? How did did God justify them? How does that work? And Paul's going to get into this a little bit more, but he's going to kind of give us a hint and a little bit of a clue as to where he's going to go. So let's finish the passage. We'll apply it. And then we're just going to wrap up with the New Lucas translation today. Okay, here we go. He says, uh, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So here's what Paul is saying. He says, before God poured his wrath out onto his son, was he punishing sins in their entirety? No. Was he giving people what they deserved? No. Did that compromise his righteousness? No. 
Because here's what he's doing. In his divine forbearance, he's waiting. He passed over former sins. He's being patient until that predetermined moment from the beginning of time that God put forward his son as a propitiation, then poured his wrath out onto his son for sins past, present, and future. Verse 26, this was to show his righteousness. That is to say, uh, this, this justification by faith is consistent with his character at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love it what Paul says here because what he's pointing out is this implication that, that if God was just to you know, ignore sin or sweep it under the rug, we talked about it a little bit this last week, that that would compromise his character. Sin deserves punishment. We would say the same thing about a judge. If a judge or a jury convicts an individual and the judge says, hey, you've been convicted, but I'm just going to let you go free. We would say that's not a just judge. And if all humanity stands condemned and guilty before God and God says, I'm just going to let you go free. No big whoop. We would say you're not a just judge. You're not a good God. So how is it that you can be just towards sin? Well, you pour out punishment on a replacement and not us. And God is not just just, not just just, not just just, but he's also the justifier. He's the one who affects this right standing that we have before him. Man, oh man. And we just scratched the surface today. We really just scratched the surface of the depth and the goodness and the joy that's in this, arguably the most important paragraph ever written. Two points of application today, then I just want to wrap up with the NLT. First, I would encourage you, exhort you, to remember your but now moment. As that moment of conversion kind of falls into the background a little bit, as we get further and further away uh, from that moment of conversion when God redeemed us, purchased us, regenerated our hearts, sometimes that can fall into the background just a little bit and it can fade. But I would invite you today, remember that day. Remember that moment. Remember that person. Remember when the good news of the grace of God uh, became clear to you because of God's stooping and coming down and loving you unconditionally. Remember your but now moment when you transferred from death to life. Give God, give God glory for it. Second, remember what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. As I talked uh, with a friend here on staff, Mike Zito, actually, that kicked off our service today uh, about this passage earlier uh, last week, we were talking about this notion of what the gospel is versus what the gospel is not. The gospel is not, I do in order to receive. The gospel is this, I've received, therefore I do. I have received 
redemption. I have received by faith the grace of God. He, Jesus, has been put forward as a propitiation. I have received the gift of a double transfer, both pardon for my sin and the righteousness of Christ. I have received not just God saying, you are free to go without consequences, but you are also free to come into my presence and experience my grace. I've received all those things and I live out of that place rather than the other way around. Not I do in order to receive. So those two points of application today. Remember your but now moment. And second, remember what the gospel is and forget what the gospel is not. Let's wrap up today with uh, what we kind of uh, jokingly, humorously call the NLT, the New Lucas translation. It's just a translation of this passage into kind of modern language based on the observations we've made from the Greek text and some commentaries and different things. And so I hope this blesses you today. Paul says this, but now right standing with God that comes from God has been made abundantly clear apart from a right wrong standard of expectations. Although the Mosaic covenant and God's prophets did point to it. Right standing with God through trust in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no difference between any of us. All have sinned and continually fall short of God's perfect design, but we are put back in right standing with Him by His freely given gift of grace. Purchased out of our slavery to sin and in our place, God put forward His own Son's blood as a payment. And we're just asked to trust Him. He did this to show that he acts in accordance with his character. In other words, those sins before Christ still warranted punishment. He was patient until the cross gave him opportunity to pour out even that justice on his son. In this, he demonstrates that his justice is still served. He is just and he justifies those who have faith in Christ. That's rich. That's rich. I hope you were blessed by Romans chapter three today.